0: This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow.
1: This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news. The week of July 13th, 2019. California has got a new definition of beer. The Sacramento boot.
0: Who knows who owns what at Uinta now?
1: You got
2: scotch in my tequila. And
0: turns out you can't make scotch in Virginia. Who knew? Us. We knew. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
1: I'm Justin Fraser, and
0: I'm
2: Christopher Walker.
1: All right, well, let's get into some news. Uh Big changes in California as they have a new legal definition for beer. California is changing the definition of beer on Tuesday. Governor uh, Gavin Newsom signed off on a new bill, uh, Assembly Bill 205, that will change the definition to include varieties of fermented, uh, include varieties fermented with things like fruit, sugars, and spices, and everything nice. <laughs> yeah. Not proud of that joke, but it was going to happen. It was. There was a. Uh, this one was kind of a no-brainer. Pete Huey, co-founder and brewmaster of Urban Roots Brewing and Smokehouse, said, I feel like they make a lot of sours. Maybe it's just because they have urban in their name, and I've yeah. been conditioned.
2: <laughs> you, you see urban, and you start thinking, oh, fruit.
1: <laughs> mm. Start salivating. Uh, beer was defined as a cereal malt bev- beverage. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's... I'm just picturing a serial killer of malt beverage. <laughs> it's, the,
0: it's the thing from Little Kings. Just
1: the... <laughs> <laughs> you kill Little Kings all the time. Uh, so anytime you added fruit, you started to get into uh, into wine territory. That's that is kind of a problem. Uh, Uh, Huey has nearly two decades of brewing experience, and he goes on to say that uh, we tried making interesting, different flavor-forward beers, uh, and the law-defining beer was written long before he had joined the business. Uh, uh, That required a separate license to be able to add fermented fruits and uh, sugars—fermented fruit sugars, sorry, and so the challenge for breweries was not allowed— to concurrently hold a wine license and a beer license. Uh,
2: Which is kind of messed up, so you can't hold both licenses.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, all I could think of like, from here is, like, why would you want both? But it also, why would you restrict both?
2: Exactly. Hmm. But it's I, I know several breweries that also happen to make wine in this area.
1: Well, they said this is something the brewers have been doing for thousands of years, and Hundreds of years. Uh, Sean Hamlin, the government affairs manager for California Craft Brew Association, said, uh, that's actually the association that, pushed, association that pushed the bill forward to bring California up to speed with how federal law already defines beer. Uh it actually uh, kind of recognizes what our guys have been doing, is that we're not uh, saying that it's not just wine, it's our beers, too, that use these ingredients to make the world's best beer. It also, the change has something to do with the Spike and Craft Breweries in California. They finally have enough of them to have enough clout <laughs> to push legislation.
2: To push legislation over the wineries.
0: Hmm.
1: It's kind of a big deal uh, well, there. <laughs> I imagine the wineries just didn't care. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: They were like, oh, yeah, Whatever. I'm gonna sit back in my mountain of money. You keep struggling. <laughs> uh, so when you look at the e- explosion of the craft beer market over the last twenty years, it's innovative and one of the things that our guys are always on the cutting edge, and they're always trying to create the next big thing. The uh, breweries uh, believe this is something that will need, uh, lead to more, even more variety. Which, yeah, if you have, if you suddenly break, you know, break from very restrictive laws and get into much more open ones, yeah. No, they're just going to go nuts.
2: And it, you know, could have something to do with the current trend in craft being the super gigantically overfruited Berliner vices and such. You know, could could maybe have uh, something to do with this.
1: It could. They they maybe they brought in some. They went, look, you could have this. We must pass this bill now. <laughs> uh... But yeah, it's always nice to see liquor laws change for the better right to allow more no to allow more people to drink <laughs> within reason,
2: I guess <laughs> within reason yeah uh, <laughs> so it's kind of uh, a, a loosening up of things which hopefully we start to see in more states. I don't know maybe Tennessee gets uh, gets off their next, high horse
0: yeah
1: next next up uh, Utah requires. Uh, all beer to be at a minimum of twenty-two percent ABV.
2: Exactly, <laughs> the, the flip things completely over. Say,
0: that'll that'll go really well. Yeah, I totally see that happening. Um, but in other Utah news, <laughs> Utah, uh, Uinta Brewing regroups after private equity partner exits.
2: This was uh, very, not fortuitous, but uh, I feel like we have somewhat of an inside now since we just talked about Uinta.
1: Yeah. We just talked about them having some uh, some equity firms owning them, so.
2: Well,
0: they did. Uh, so the Riverside Company, a private equity firm with offices in New York City, Cleveland, and that's it. Okay, Has exited its investment in Salt Lake City's Uinta Brewing. Reached by Brewbound, of course. A uh, spokesman for the firm, which acquired a partial stake in 2014, so not totally owned, partial stake, kind of like the dogfish head <laughs> thing was before Sam Adams, um, declined to comment on the reasons why it decided to back away from the investment. Uh, "Quote
1: Because beer is not the hot thing to invest in anymore.
0: Yeah, not really. And they're not exactly doing the seltzer thing like everybody else, so... Um, It said, quote, after our investment in 2014, Riverside provided support and additional resources to grow Uinta by expanding its existing facility space and investing in new fermentation and bright tanks to expand production and further its geographic footprint. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, We also remained committed to helping Uinta make great beer as the brewery introduced many new products and continued to win accolades during the investment period. Uinta president Jeremy... Ragunese, um confirmed that Riverside had ex- exited its position in the company and said existing partner Golub, Col- Golub—I don't know how to say that—Capital uh, stepped up to buy out Riverside.
1: <laughs> Golub. Yes. Oh, that's a weird thing, name. Hazy <laughs> Sorry, just saw someone. I just saw smoke in the chat. Say next thing, Hazy Seltzers. <laughs> <No, like, laughs> oh. don't,
0: don't say that because that's that. That could definitely happen. Uh, in March, Uinta secured a new investment from Golub Capital to drive Go growth. <laughs> as a result of the new commitment, uh, an investor since 2014, and uh, now holds a controlling stake in the business. So, mm-hmm. ugh. Um, oh,
2: so this shift in ownerships doesn't mean Uinta won't be considered. Wait, What's, do we have a percentage? Because uh, in our episode, we knew that there wasn't a controlling ownership that Uinta had the majority.
0: I don't <coughs> think
2: that they were still considered craft.
0: I don't. I don't see it in here. Um, I don't think that that's a a thing that they cover. But with equity firms, though, it so rarely messes with the craft thing. True. Um,
1: they're 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 there for the money, not to tell you what to do. Yeah. yeah. Look at founders.
0: Uh, the, yeah, although founders isn't considered craft either. Um, well, so uh, Uinta is currently ranked at the by the Brewers Association as the 42nd largest craft brewery in the U.S., which we talked about in our episode. Um, according to uh, Raganese, fun name, production declined 15 percent to 79,600 barrels last year. In the three years immediately following Riverside's investment, production increased between six and eight percent annually. <laughs> Uh, but increasing competition coupled with a strategy of expanding distribution to markets where the Uinta brand was less relevant led to declines last year and ultimately set the brewery back. Over the course of those years, the challenge of competing on a national scale without large marketing budgets and personnel became extraordinarily difficult for us to sustain, um, they, which they told BrewBound. Um yeah. So throughout the rest of this, it doesn't mention anything about the the uh, the percentage thing that you know you would consider for for craft beer. Um, just it really just about the uh, how it affected distribution and and marketing and and essentially the sales aren't great at this point.
2: Yeah, because they had to take on the extra uh, owners essentially. So they could spread to these new markets, and I guess the new markets weren't selling as well as they had hoped, so they backed out.
1: Yeah, I mean, (coughs) it's it's why we get them now.
2: I'm sure there may have been some kind of clause in the contract saying that if business didn't perform as such in these new markets, that they had the option to pull out.
1: Yeah, there's probably some some kind of exit clause they were allowed, but... Still, it's—I don't know if it's great or at the very least not terrible news. But
2: hey, uh, they had one investor leave and the other one just doubled down.
1: Mm-hmm. uh And you know, they says they're doing—they're uh, doing a more regional distribution strategy, focusing
2: more on the western
1: half of the U.S. So we may lose some UNTA.
2: Oh, no, it's it's already happening. When uh, we did our right episode it was hard to get a hold of fresh beer. Every, it's true. Everything I was able to find, meaning the three different beers, were only in six packs, and all were weeks out of date. So I mine, think, were
1: only, mine were only days, although at this point <laughs> we're getting to a week.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're getting to weeks. But,
1: you know, still, we can see how, I guess, they go forward. Maybe maybe they'll... they'll They'll grow again and get back out. Maybe they'll have some kind of another unexpected partnership.
2: Hopefully sometimes that happens. Fingers crossed we don't completely lose them. Again, this is just some things noticed on the shelf. Maybe that's as far Mm. as affecting us as it goes. But (laughs) not to scoot this along, I can't I can't not talk about this anymore.
1: (laughs) I was gonna say, speaking of unexpected partnerships.
2: Yes. So um it, th- there's there's no other way to say it. Don Julio is releasing a Lagavulin barrel-aged tequila.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Donna,
2: uh-huh. Donavulin, as I liked to call it. Uh, Don Julio is coming out with a new tequila, and it's a little different than you might think. As the brand's second barrel-finished tequila, the new tequila Don Julio Reposado double cask is a refusado tequila finished in casks for two weeks that previously held Lagavulin Isla Single Malt Scotch Whiskey.
1: Maybe it's maybe it's Lag Julio.
2: Lag Julio. Uh, I don't know which is better. <laughs> I like this. I like all these. Last year, the brand released uh, their first barrel-aged tequila using casks that previously held a Scotch Whiskey for uh, Buchanan's Blend. This new limited edition tequila is a collaboration between Don Julio, Master Distiller, Enrique de Colsa, and Lagavulin Distillery Manager Colin Gordon. Colsa spent two years experimenting with different casks before landing on the Lagavulin casks. Working in collaboration with Colin Gordon, the Lagavulin distillery allowed me to perfect this variant using our expertise to ensure that both spirits authentically complemented each other and balanced the core flavor of Tequila Don Julio, as well as the signature flavor of Lagavulin single. Look, there's no balancing Lagavulin if it's coming in contact with anything else. The, How the, is that going to
0: taste? Smoky. Mm. And sweet,
2: gonna it's gonna make uh, tequila drinkable. Is what it's gonna do. <laughs>
0: okay, we're not allowed to say that anymore, though. After the epsilon, uh,
2: the Reposado Double Cash Tequila is available now, but only for a limited time. So check out their website to see where you can get yours. I need it. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. I need it. It's,
0: I I'm mean, scared. I feel
1: I feel like it's it's an important thing for science. Really,
2: For science, we're going to have to get it, and we're going to have to do maybe a Patreon episode of having the mm. Don Julio double cask Lagavulin.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of scotch.
0: Or things that are trying to be scotch. Uh, Virginia Distillery sued for calling its whiskey scotch.
2: It's for lovers, <laughs> not for scotch.
0: Saying so We're all shocked. Uh, the Virginia Distillery Company, great original name, is under fire from the Scotch Whiskey Association for, quote, passing off whiskey as scotch. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah no, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's a, a
1: pretty
0: bad idea. <laughs> uh, the SWA claims the Lovingston, Virginia-based distillery's use of the word, quote, Highland, a term <laughs> reserved for exclusively for scotch whiskey under U.S. federal regulations, is unlawful. It's seeking a court order instructing Virginia distillery to drop the Highland term from its labels. The labels in question include the Virginia Highland Whiskey series, in which the spelling of whiskey, as opposed to whiskey with an E-Y, and prominent use of Highland falsely indicate that the product is wholly from Scotland. Um, The filing includes allegations of false advertising, unfair competition, and deceptive trade practices
1: it's right on the bubble of what I would consider because it doesn't technically say scotch. Yeah.
2: They're not claiming it, but the lawsuit is coming in saying, no, if you say Highland, people are thinking Uh, Highlands of Scotland.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's enough that I can see how they're, they're probably going to win that suit there. Um, Indeed, it says, quote, the defendant's labeling of its products intentionally misidentifies the true geographic origin of its products in an effort to trade on the goodwill and prestige uh, associated with Scotch whiskey. While the association respects the rights of independent distillers, it has an obligation to protect the unique geographic identity of whiskey produced in Scotland, namely Scotch whiskey and the industry that produces it from or that produces it from damage. Yeah, produces it. That's weird. Um,
1: <laughs> I'd like to see the see it instead called the Virgin, Virginia Highland Bourbon Whiskey. Then we just all be very mad at it.
0: I mean, yeah, because <laughs> that doesn't make sense in so many ways.
2: But yeah, I I'm, I'm, I guess it's so this boils down to basically the same thing that was happening with uh, when Crown Royal released. Mm, mm-hmm.
1: Crown but Royals was more blatant though. Like theirs was something it that was said like
2: bourbon. Yeah, they, yeah.
0: They just straight up. Because I was thinking initially just from the title, because I didn't get <laughs> get to help with the stories or anything. But the um, I was like, they literally called it Scotch. Are you serious right now? But so uh, the Highland thing, yes, you could go hit or miss on it, but it definitely has. It implies there's a connotation, like, there's a connotation of yeah. like uh, yeah. So I, I I get it like just it's like still if- dumb.
2: <laughs> There are non bourbon brands that just say Kentucky whiskey. There's a connotation there. People are, so they see Kentucky, they're assuming bourbon.
1: Yeah. It's true. The Highland is a bit of a stretch to think of. Uh, uh or Free Viking in our chat had said, uh, uh, wait, there's only one Highland? And admittedly, there can be only one, but.
2: Uh, <laughs> there are other Highlands, but it's. Uh, That's where I'm like, okay. If you see whiskey
0: and Highland in the same... Pull
2: up a map of Virginia. Is there an area known as the Highlands in Virginia? If there's not, I think they've gotten the legs.
1: Yeah. Uh, Free Parking also asks, is Highland Brewing going to have to change its name? Well, they're not making whiskey exactly.
0: Well, that's... Yeah, that's
1: the thing. There were barrels there that were aging whiskey, but I don't think they had Highland anywhere on them, so...
0: I think they've uh, they've paid closer attention to their branding perhaps.
1: Yeah. Still, you know.
0: So,
2: who was
1: I, I I could almost see this being not complete. You know, crap, but
2: <laughs> it's dancing the line. Who's the lawsuit from? Did it say?
0: Uh, it, the Oh, the association. Yeah, the Scotch oh, Scotch whiskies.
2: So, I think it has legs that they are defending their product like it's that they're coming in they're saying hey this is known around our product and you can't do this
0: <laughs> flat like, out
2: there's an appellation on this
0: it's just it's a it's a branding thing and once you start getting into branding it gets very tricky
2: they're gonna defend it because okay. w- there are <laughs> they there are a, defending it there's a yeah. there's an
1: update in the thing oh, oh. i say there and are the heady says, days
2: when uh i had a previous job where uh, someone someone's Family passed away and they were cleaning out their liquor cabinet and they were just giving away all the stuff they found there. And there were some gems in there. I think uh, there was a. What? I ended up with a bottle of. Uh, it was a Christmas uh, special decanter of Old Fitzgerald six year. And I ended up giving it to Casey as a wedding present. Yeah. <laughs> but because I didn't. Because it still had the tax seal on it and everything. And I was like, I'm not breaking this. <laughs> but uh, uh, no. there was a bottle of quote-unquote scotch made in Kentucky in this so <laughs> uh, from back in the 70s. So yeah. you had, like, real janky crap like that going on, and they're probably trying to keep that stuff from happening again.
1: They have here in their their little statement they released afterwards, like, Our label clearly indicates the source of our whiskey, stating, Whiskey from Scotland, married with Virginia whiskey. Uh, we have always been upfront in the description to our customers. Our team has invested countless hours and took the necessary appropriate steps to design labeling for the series in conjunction with the federal TTB regulations and additional inquiry from the Scotch Whiskey Association. We have been extremely transparent about our uh, production process from labeling the uh, product's marketing. We plan to continue our expansion of the Virginia Highland Whiskey Series line across the U.S. They are taking this to court. Uh...
2: Well, so. one, of, one of these two has a lot more money behind them than the other. <laughs> Fact. And can push this legal battle much further. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, you know who else has a lot of money? Whoever bought this wine. Mm.
2: They have a lot. So uh, Bordeaux producers to release the world's most expensive wine. When it comes to record-breaking bottle prices, uh, <coughs> Burgundy usually leads the way both in France and around the world, but the Bordeaux producer is set to make uh, even Domaine de la... Uh,
1: Romane Conte?
2: <laughs> sure. Seem like a bargain when it releases its next vintage for a, a stratospheric $34,110 per bottle.
0: Hertz. Nope. hurts. <laughs>
1: yes. No wine is that good.
2: Located in Graves-Liber, <laughs> Petar, already boasts the most expensive average bottle prices in Bordeaux, according to the wine uh, searcher data. However, <laughs> the $4,120 you can normally expect to pay for one of its bottles is much. less than an eighth of the price for this one. Uh, it's the 2015 vintage. That's a fairly young one for that kind of, a, kind of a price. Yeah, really. When it goes on sale, it will become the world's most expensive release. According to the drinks business, just 550 bottles of the vintage have been produced. Only 240 will be released this year in September. So, uh, so go ahead and get ready for September, th- those wine lovers out there. And each uh, export market will receive a maximum allocation of 18 bottles. So that means there will be an entire 18 bottles exported to, I'm sure, what is the continental U.S.
0: (coughs) Good Lord.
1: (laughs) Bore, B-O-O-R-D-O-U-G-H, is also made in Virginia.
2: (laughs) God, Virginia, what are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> 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 the price tag isn't the only interesting aspect of this release. The wine is made using indigenous Bordeaux varieties, including Castets, Castet. Tern- I, I, I suck at wine. <laughs> I, I'm not Castet,
1: and, and it,
2: it, Okay, so it's all grown on ungrafted vines. Like that's what they're getting at here. Hmm. Like it, it's kind of close to natural. So the vintage was also... Farm the table. Yeah. It was also uh, vinified in amphorae, and the wine did not see any oak. Okay. <laughs> they, they, they
1: put blinders around, around I, it while it was so. in the amphorae, it's and it's like, no, 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 don't even look at those trees.
2: Non-oak, what the hell is going on with this? Because these ah. varieties and techniques are not permitted by the French Appalachian's authority the wine will simply be labeled Vin de France for founder mm. Loic Pasquay. However, the 2015 vintage captures the true essence of the Pre-Folera Bordeaux.
1: Phyla- Phylaxera. That's the, Phylaxera. The, uh, when the bugs came in. The, the blight.
2: Oh, <laughs> when the bugs. <laughs> like When the bugs came in. The twenty fifteen will be the first vintage made from entirely huh, yeah, whatever those grapes are.
1: Auto so grapes. Not trying.
2: Autoerotic asphyxiation grapes from ungrafted <laughs> vines. It's produced produced as wine was before the blight. Oh. So, okay, this is pre blight wine and people are gonna lose their shit over it, I'm guessing. Um <laughs> I guess thirty four thousand dollars per bottle. Too
1: much. Look, the four thousand dollars is too much.
2: So what's what's crazier is we did the whole episode that was you know most expensive bottles you could ever buy of you know anything. This (laughs) those were all auctioned. Like when they were made, they were they knew these were only going to auction. That was the only way this was happening. These (laughs) are going to have an MSRP. These are going to get a barcode, and they are going to go to liquor stores.
1: That would be hilarious.
2: Someone is that'll be very that'll few. Be... Very, very few. I'm sure most of these will actually just end up being auctioned. But some, since it's going to distributors, these distributors will then filter, like they'll sell it at a huge, huge markup. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Huge. My, my brain it can't handle this. It's just going to explode. <laughs> Boop.
1: Well, you know what else explodes? Champagne. Especially amongst the whitest people you know.
2: Man, this story is...
1: White people rich. Uh, So
2: white!
1: Wimbledon match interrupted by flying champagne corks. Some spectators got a little too excited at Wimbledon on Friday, forcing the umpire to halt play after their champagne corks flew onto the court. That may be at least the second whitest sentence I've ever said.
2: Some, no joke. Some premature uh, uncorking going on.
1: Also, I didn't know that uh, uh, those tennis people were umpires.
2: <laughs> so, oh. this. <coughs> I Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know, know nothing own. about tennis. It, so, think about any sporting event, what people have in the stands to celebrate with and how they celebrate. Every other sporting event in the world, <laughs> pretty much, is beer, uh, not tennis. Mm-hmm. Tennis, you're bringing, everyone is bringing in their own personal bottles champagne. Of, of champagne or sparkling. It's the game of,
1: the game of kings. <sighs> well, the, uh, the umpire Gian- Gianluca Mascarella uh, was overseeing the game between France's Benoit Paris and the Czech Republic's Giri Vissiri, uh when, they, when he stopped the match uh, to caution the audience. Enjoy your champagne, but please do not pop
2: your corks on court. God. I'm sorry. I swear, I swear that never happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and
1: then there was no like. It's fine. It happens to all of us sometimes. Uh, Sealy <laughs> was serving uh, at the time of the game. Was haunted. Mascara yelled, "Let, let, let!" Which apparently I guess means stop or
0: one would
2: hope
1: re- redo, he, he forcing the point to be replayed.
2: He didn't finish uh, it with uh, my people go.
1: Let my tennis stop. Uh, in our condition, uh, conditions of entry, it states that all corked bottles of wine, including champagne and sparkling wine, m- <clears throat> must be opened prior to being taken to the stands of any court. How often does this happen that you have to have this in your rules?
0: Right? I mean, white people, all right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which was the title for this story for us. This is the first time that champagne has been created during Wimbledon. Uh world number 1 Nikol uh Novak Djokovic recently had his serve interrupted as someone in the crowd opened a bottle. while another spectator caused a stir when his cork busted out of the bottle unexpectedly, knocking off his sunglasses.
0: <laughs> this is amazing. I want to okay, I do I want to be like, "Ugh, white people." But then there I mean, you also have like at least the Williams sisters and um the the chick who just won Last time, like, because of the whole like Serena issue that happened, um, but she, you know she's ob- also very not white, <laughs> so just at okay, least fine. Have that, but so. Ugh,
2: rich people.
0: Yeah, that's that's what it is, really.
2: What do so? What do they have at polo matches? Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's probably the whitest sport. <laughs> what do they have
1: at polo matches? Apartheid. Um, <laughs> ouch. and on that note we should probably wrap this up
0: yep Uh, okay well we would like to remind everyone this is our news only show but we also do a weekly long form show discussing the science and history around what you drink if you like what you hear (laughs) and you want to support (laughs) terrible jokes uh, please go to patreon.com slash have a drink show and we will see you again next weekend, maybe. Uh, and once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker.
2: I'm Justin Fraser. And I'm Christopher Walker. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.